0: This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the fruit of the Spirit.
1: The passage for today is 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister.
0: Last week, if you did miss that, we began a series on... The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about keeping in step with the Spirit, living a life in harmony and sympathy with the Spirit. And as we do so, we find that we are transformed by the God who is committed to changing us. And this series is not about a project of self improvement, as I just grip my teeth and try to make certain behaviors happen, but God is actually the one who is at work and he is changing me by his life and his love and by his power. And today we're talking about the very first of these ninefold fruit of the spirit and that is the fruit of love. And there are many different lists of virtues in the New Testament. We're not pretending that this list is somehow whole and exhausted. Those lists differ somewhat, but every single list includes love and includes love either at the very beginning or at the very end of the list because love is the root of all Christian virtue and love is also the crown and the summit of all Christian virtue. And here is love anchoring both ends of the Christian life. Love for one another is the preschool, it's the kindergarten. None of us, no matter how young and the Holy Spirit is too young to love one another, but it's also love, the PhD program and the highest thing we can possibly achieve. And when faith and hope fall away like the booster rockets that they are, we find ourselves in the end orbiting around God in the highest of all virtues, which is love. The 4th century Christian writer Jerome tells this story. He relays the story about the Apostle John in his old age. John, the very last of the disciples to die. And when he was too frail and feeble even to walk under his own strength and to worship, he'd be carried on a bed. And all he would be able to say to the gathered Christians was, little children, love one another. And every Sunday he'd come and this is all he would say. And eventually the disciples, the Christians got a little weary of this and they were hoping for some other word. I mean, this is the last of the apostles. There are other things we would be very curious to hear from him, not least some more, you know, interpretation of the book of Revelation and those symbols. I'm sure there were lots of questions they would like to ask, lots of teaching they'd like to have from his mouth. And they asked him, Master, why do you always say this? Again and again, little children love one another. And John replied, It is the Lord's command, and if this is done, it is enough. If we love one another, it is enough, and we have done what Jesus wants us to do. I don't know if that story is true, but it rings very true to John's gospel and to John's three letters because over and over again, he's emphasizing that it is absolutely vital that we live in love with one another. And don't forget, John was the one who received this revelation. He's the bearer of the apocalypse. He had these dark and disturbing and foreboding prophecies of beasts rising from the sea and dark menacing forces who would bring terrible tribulation on the helpless people of God. And you might imagine, like many other bearers of apocalyptic tidings, many dark prophets from her own age, even within the church, who are warning us of dark days ahead, you you would think that John might become shrill and angry and sarcastic and bitter and cynical. And it's amazing that John's one concern is that God's people live in love. Because in times of cultural crisis, there's nothing more important for the church than emphasize that love is the greatest command. Love is the one thing needful. Without love, we are nothing more than clashing cymbals or noisy gongs. I wonder if love is quite as high on our own list of priorities. Is that what we use as the chief measure of our own spiritual health before God? Is that how we analyze our own success in this world? And is it our aim year after year that we grow, above all things, that we grow in love for one another? And we should ask that question not just as individuals, but as A community. What does it mean for TICF to be a successful church? Is it measured in how many people are coming here Sunday after Sunday? How large the offering is? The number of programs that we're producing? When maybe what Jesus really cares about is the quality of our relationships with one another. And if that is absent from this church, then frankly, nothing else matters According to him, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the primary and the most basic evidence that we belong to Jesus and that his life is being lived out within us is that we are loving each other fervently from the heart. So what is it that keeps us from loving and having this kind of community and these deep, rich, fervent relationships with each other? I don't think it's that we don't know what to do or that we're somehow unaware of the needs around us. Frankly, I think for most of us, the problem is exhaustion. That we barely have enough emotional energy and relational capacity for those closest to us And we feel like we need to protect ourselves from the insatiable claims and needs of other people. And I could, of course, today try to just wring a few more drops of love from your stony hearts by cracking the whip and putting more guilt on you and pressing home your obligation to love and somehow squeezing out just one or two more weary acts of service. And there are Christians who live like this, and maybe you are one of these kind of Christians, always spending and depleting yourself, and under your smile, your increasingly shaky smile, you feel bitter and resentful for how much you're taken for granted, and you see yourself as this heroic martyr, continually giving, never willing or able to receive. John knows that genuine love for others can only come from a heart that is filled up to overflowing with God's own love for us. Let us love one another because love comes from God. Verse 7. I cannot generate love. I cannot generate love because true love, love that is not selfish and that doesn't use other people, genuine love, has its source outside of myself. I am only the pipe. You are only the pipe. The great reservoir of love is the heart of the Father himself. And if this pipe is clogged at the upper end where it should be connecting with that reservoir, Then nothing is going to come out the other end where I ought to be loving people. All love, all love is from God because God is love. Love is not an occasional feeling or emotion that sometimes arises in God's heart, it's not a periodic behavior that He sometimes expresses. Love is not even a particular part of God's character. God is love completely and throughout, through and through. And if we could do a cross-section of God, if that would even be imaginable, we would see nothing but love. There is no part of God that is not love. And our God is love from eternity to eternity. And long before the creation of all things... When there was nothing but the triune God, the Father was loving the Son in the bond of the Holy Spirit. Love is not something God began to do when we appeared on the scene. Love has always been in God. Love is not part of creation. Love is not like us, limited time-bound, contingent, love is eternal, and love is behind and beyond and above all created existence. And everything that has been created, everything that we look around and see and feel and touch has been called into existence by the love of God. Because the joy of the triune life Bubbles up and overflows and creates a cosmos, a universe, so that God's abundant, unlimited love can fill new beings. In his book on faith and hope and love, the late German philosopher Joseph Pieper wrote that at its most basic, love says, It is good that you exist. When you look into the eyes of someone that you deeply care for, your heart's affirmation is, it is good that you exist. And God says to the nothingness that surrounds him, it is good that all things exist. And it's the love of God that gives the gift of being to all things other than himself. And God looks on what he has made and he says, it is good it is good, it is very good that you exist. And God says to every person here, Christian or non Christian, it is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. I am the one who created you who formed you in your mother's womb, who has known your name before all time. And in my love, I have set you on your feet and given you the gift of life so that you might share in the miracle of existence in my good world. And because nothing has an independent life, all things exist from God and through God, the fact that we go on existing is due to God's Continual, moment by moment, upholding of our being and sustaining of our lives by his love. The creator upholds and sustains all things through his beloved son and his beloved spirit, continually speaking over us. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist And held by that loving word of God, we continue to live. And all of creation, but especially human beings, were meant to live in continual unveiled awareness of the love of God over us. We were meant to be like flowers unfolding to the life-giving sun shining upon us. But of course, human sin and human selfishness and human doubt of God's love caused a shadow to fall upon us all. And now we find ourselves alone and alienated from the love of God. Anxious and uncertain and looking over our shoulder in fear of divine justice and an uncertain future. Our sin made us unworthy of love. Not just the primal sin of Adam, but our continued choice to reject God's love and to serve and worship ourselves. And it's here that the true depths of the love of God reveal themselves. In comparison to which, John doesn't even mention the love by which God holds all things in existence. This is how God showed his love among us, John writes in verses 9 and 10 he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross is the supreme demonstration of the love of God. Human sin and ugliness did not change God's determination To bless us and cause us to experience good. And still, amazingly, still in our sin and our rebellion and our estrangement, God's heart never stops beating out. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. And God's love is stronger than death. And it will overcome everything that stands between the lover and the beloved. Even when the beloved makes herself unlovely. And so there is no greater love imaginable than God sending his only begotten Son into the world to die a death of shame on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God did not want you and I to die, however much we deserve to. God sent his Son, his one and only Son, the Son whom he loves. To die in our place. And when we stand before the cross and we see the Lamb of God hanging there for our sake and in our stead, we realize the horrible depth of sin and the terrible price that it exacts. And we also see, standing beneath the cross, the depths to which God's love is willing to go. To buy us back from death. And there at the cross, before the crucified and bleeding Jesus, we understand that God loves because He loves, because God is love. The cross shows that God's love is not a response to my love or the appropriate reaction to my loveliness, it is, in fact, a response to hatred. Rejection and rebellion. This is love. Not that we loved God. But that God loved us. And at the cross we see. How far beyond natural love. Divine love goes. Natural love is attracted. By what is attractive. It's called forth. Almost despite ourselves. By the lovely qualities. In the person or the thing that we love. And this is not evil. It's. Healthy and natural, healthy people are drawn towards what is good and beautiful and true. But divine love goes far beyond this because the love of God reaches out and down toward what is profoundly unattractive, towards what is ugly and repulsive and repellent. Because divine love seeks nothing for itself. It is pure self-giving. And what God's love seeks is not to meet some need or emptiness in itself because God has none, but to meet the need and the gaping emptiness within us, the object of God's love. We are not the good. We are not the beautiful. We are not the true. Far from it. But that is irrelevant because God is the good and the beautiful and the true and because God is God. He is willing to give everything for us, his very own self, even at the cost of pain and suffering and death. John tells us it was so that we might live through him because God's love brings life. God's love is life. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. And through the miracle of the love of God, the death of Jesus becomes our life and the horror of the cross becomes the place of freedom and a new relationship with God and life to the fullest. Dear friends, John writes in verse 11, since God so loved us, Let us love one another. And here is the hinge. Here is the fulcrum of love. Because as we stand under the cross. And only when we stand under the cross. And we soak our dry and cracked and shriveled little souls. In the love of God for us sinners. Somehow that stirs up love for other people. Who are also sinful and also difficult and also deeply ugly and undeserving. And we find ourselves filled up and overwhelmed by God's self-giving love. Ransomed, redeemed, restored, forgiven. And we hear our creator singing a song of love and delight over us. And that experience gives us new capacity To love others. My lack. Becomes fullness. My exhaustion. Becomes renewal. My depletion. Becomes repletion. We love. Because he first. Loved. Us. This is how we know. What love is. John writes in 1 John chapter 3. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need. But has no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love Not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Jesus spent himself to meet our deepest needs. That is what divine love does. And that gift of Jesus frees us and empowers us to spend ourselves for others. To meet real people with real needs. This is not about vague, general feelings of benevolence. This is not merely wishing that others would be warm and well-fed and promising to pray for them. As we walk in step with the Spirit, and as we experience the love of God, God himself will show us here is a person in need who also desperately requires the love of God to be shown to them. And the ability to actually do that and to love someone else from the heart, not in a way that is seeking to get something from them or to use them for myself or to consume them in my own selfishness, but to actually give myself like Jesus. That requires more than conscious imitation of Jesus. As though all we needed was a high and awesome example out there. We need a change within and new life within. Because everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. When we first looked on the crucified Christ with faith in our hearts, we were born again and born from above by the spirit of God. And we became God's children, not just by a legal process of adoption, but by a miracle of new birth where the father's own nature was shared with us. And as God's children, we share the father's nature and we possess in ourselves the family attribute of love. God is love and somehow we become love as we share in God. Because if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, John says, God lives in them and they in God. We're brought into a relationship of mutual indwelling, where in a mysterious, mystical way, I am living in God, He is living in me, there is oneness and unity between us. And the life I live is no longer my own, but it is the life of Christ within me. So that I'm not imitating something outside of myself, but I'm living out a life that is already being lived in me and through me by the Holy Spirit. And the reason we can be confident of something so supernatural and frankly outrageous is because of the gift of God's Spirit. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Verse 13. In following Jesus, we're not left to kind of muddle through ourselves and try to figure out these mysteries and somehow if we push the right button or discover the right secret, we will activate the spiritual life and be able to do these things that God calls us to do. God has given us His spirit, and he is the one moving in our hearts and empowering us and changing and transforming us so that we can actually do what we are unable to do in the flesh, to love one another. And God's spirit has been given to shed abroad the love of God in my heart, to cause me to cry out, Abba, Father. To give me the confidence and the assurance that I am, in fact, sinner though I am, beloved of God and to turn toward my new brothers and sisters and to share the love that is living within me. The top of the pipeline is being unclogged and God's love is pouring into my heart. Love is the fruit of the spirit because love is from God. And there is no more powerful sign That you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and there is no more powerful sign that the Holy Spirit is moving among this community than that we are actually living in genuine fervent love for one another. Especially when the other is unattractive and undeserving, difficult, ugly, repulsive. Somehow, with the miracle of God's own self-giving love, we are enabled to love the worst of sinners, And what I'm hammering away on this afternoon is that the first and most important step in loving others is learning to receive the love of God for ourselves. And if we leap over that step and try to get straight towards practical tips towards loving others, we will never be able to sustain that. The most important thing we need to do is to spend time at the foot of the cross, gazing upon our crucified Redeemer, allowing ourselves to experience anew and afresh the wonder of forgiving love, asking the Spirit to witness with our spirit that we are indeed the beloved children of God. And I think that many Christians are starved for the love of God. You know, health experts tell us that we should be massively hydrating every day, drinking liters and liters of water. You should always have this huge thermos beside you where you're just sucking it back. And there's a kind of spiritual hydration, isn't there, that we need to be doing every day. We're going around with parched and dry mouths wondering, why do I feel dizzy? Why do I feel a lack of energy? When we ought to be continually replenishing ourselves with the love of God. That is not a hard or difficult or faraway thing that God is calling you to do. He's simply asking you to open your little hands and receive every day. That is the hardest and most difficult thing in our pride, because we feel we don't need to be loved. We do. We desperately need to feel the love of God. You know, there's a saying among trauma counselors, those who counsel people who've suffered abuse, that hurt people hurt people. Someone who has hurt themselves is going to wound other people. It's also true that loved people love people. Loved people love people. Because... A profound experience of love transforms us at the deepest level. Not just at the level of choices and behaviors moment by moment. It actually soaks into the inner core of our being. And God's love actually makes us different people. Dallas Willard, he's writing here about Paul, but he could easily be speaking about the Apostle John. He writes, Paul understood the fallacy of those who say, I just can't love so and so. And there they stop and give up on love. Paul knew that they were working at the wrong level. They should not try to love that person, but to try to become the kind of person who would love them. Only so can the ideal of love pass into a real possibility and practice. Our aim under love is not to be loving this or that person or in this or that kind of situation, but to be a person possessed by love as an overall quality of life, as an overall character of life, whatever is or isn't going on. The occasions are met with from that overall character. I do not come to my enemy and then try to love love them. I come to them as a loving person. You understand? It's about being changed as a person so that out of who we have become by the Holy Spirit, we now love others. The Spirit is at work changing who we are first from the inside so that we're not just the same old person trying to clumsily adopt new behaviors. But we are a brand new, regenerated person living out of a changed heart. And when God gives us his spirit, we're embarking on a journey of love through our whole lives. It's interesting in this passage that there's this language about love being made complete or perfect, depending on your translation. And it comes from the underlying Greek word telos, which means the aim or the goal. God's love in our lives has a direction. It's pressing towards something. It's on the move. And there's a danger that we selfishly try to hoard God's love. But instead of being pipelines, we become buckets. Collecting and holding it to ourselves. Where all we want to do is bask in the good feeling of being loved and affirmed. Spending our whole lives trying to apply these therapeutic feelings to ourselves. And we never move on outward to other people. And John would say of that kind of person that they've never really known the love of God at all in that case. Because the very nature of love is that it is ecstatic. That it pushes us outside of ourselves, that it takes the self sinfully and naturally curved in on itself, and it pries us open and unbends us toward other people. Because whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, who's right there in front of your eyes, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. Your love for the invisible God is an illusion and a deception. If you have no love towards your brothers and sisters. To claim as we often hear people saying. I love Jesus. I love God. But not the church. Is saying that the only kind of love that I will love with. Is the kind that excludes the sinful. The difficult. The undeserving. The hurtful. And that kind of love. Is not the love of God. At all. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's reached its telos, its goal. It's completed its work. Because God will never allow his love to be contained in a bucket. If we don't pass on the love of God, we'll become a stagnant pond, unmoving waters that gradually get covered by foul scum and gives gives off a disgusting smell, the only way to receive fresh love from God continually is to give away the love we receive and open up space and new room for replenishment. And in my own experience, and maybe you can identify with this, some of my sweetest experiences of the love of God Have not been when I've been on my knees before scripture. But when I have. Made the choice. To give to someone else. And in the very moment. I spent myself in a small way. And acted with kindness and generosity and mercy. Towards someone in need. In that moment. I felt God's. Own joy in self-giving love that somehow I was participating in the love of the Father in a more profound way than if I was just receiving for myself. Because as our Lord Jesus taught us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if we want the fullness of God's blessing, if we really want to experience his face shining upon us and delighting in us, We will imitate our own father in self-giving love to others. And perhaps our own love for others and our own experience of the father's love. Would grow a great deal if we stepped out in faith and gave ourselves away. For others. Love for others is not the only goal of love. Take a look at verses 17 and 18 if you have your Bible open. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The one who fears... Has not reached yet reached the goal of God's love. God wants us to experience, to anticipate future judgment before Him with joyful confidence. And if we read carefully those two verses, the basis for that confidence, that fearless confidence, is that in this world, we are like Jesus. In this present evil age, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of God's Son. We're actually becoming more like Jesus as we keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus is our highest model of what it means to love other people. His whole life on earth was sharing and speaking and demonstrating with power the love of God. And of course, his death on the cross is the supreme pattern of our own love for others. And my becoming like Jesus includes his own confidence before the Father, his own relationship with his Father, his freedom before God. The Son has no fear of punishment. That's not his relationship with the Father. He expects nothing but total love from the Father. And as the love of God works its way into our hearts and into our lives, it makes us more and more like Jesus... And my likeness to Jesus in the way I love others will be the evidence on the day of judgment that I truly belong to him. That my faith was genuine and that I was actually born again by the spirit of God. And apart from that self-giving love of Christ that meets the needs of others. We can have no confidence on the day of judgment. However much we profess, Lord, Lord, we will be rejected by Jesus if we have not served the least of these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, first of all. And when we walk in love, we are most like God because we are actually living in God. And participating in his own love. Love comes from God because God is love. And at the very center of all things. Is this love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A love that has reached out to draw us in. At the very end of the twelfth, the 13th century Italian poet Dante's Divine Comedy. After he has plunged down through the circles of hell and toiled up the mountain of purgatory, he is given a a vision of the glory of the love of God. And I want to share an illustration with you. It's going to come up on the screen. And this is from the 19th century French engraver Gustave Doré. It's an engraving of Canto 31 of the Paradiso, the very last book. I don't know if you can see this clearly, but... There are thousands and thousands 10,000 upon 10,000 angels circling the burning center of the love of God which is pure light in the very middle of that illustration. And the famous last line of Dante's Paradiso is this. L'amor chamuve il sole e l'altra stella The love that moves the sun and the other stars. At the very heart of all things is the love of God for his creation. And we're called not just to stand there like Dante and his guide, gazing at the love of God, but being drawn into that circle ourselves to join in the swirling dance around the triune God, Where we are drinking and drinking and drinking, continually receiving and replenishing from greatly enlarged hearts of the infinite love of God. And then pouring that back up to God in worship and in love to one another. And here in our very ordinary humdrum lives, with the odd and difficult people around us, We are already tasting of the heavenly life if we choose to love one another. We are living the very life of God by the power of his Holy Spirit. So shall we bow our heads and pray and ask for that miracle to be worked in us yet again? Heavenly Father, you are the God who is love. And you have poured out your love upon us, not just Only in creating us and sustaining our existence moment by moment. But in giving us the supreme gift of your son. To die on the cross for us unlovely sinners to bring us to new life. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your son and the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, O Lord, that you would help us to love one another from the heart. Not just by stiffly, wearily engaging in certain outward actions we ask that you would make us the kind of people whose deepest joy is to spend ourselves to meet the needs of those who are crying out among us. Lord, we can only do this by a divine miracle. For all of us who are starved and dehydrated by your love, we pray that you would fill us. And for all here who are on the outside looking in, who do not know your love, we pray that you would reveal that to them by your Holy Spirit, O Lord. Help them to see Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the one who has died for the whole world, the one who has died for them. Renew us by your love, Father. In the name of Jesus, the supreme model and demonstration of love, we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at
1: ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.